0: I'm Aaron Armstrong.
1: I'm Pete Moran.
0: And we love to watch.
1: (laughs) We love to spot trains. That should come together in the edit nicely, I think. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, it's very hard to, in my mind, um, try to emulate the dialogue in this movie at all, because not only is it in barely English, but it is uh I mean I'm sure they would hate to for that the fact that it's called English at all. But uh the I mean they know there's a there's wealth. a
0: reference in the movie that, that where they talk about like that they're they're second to English. <laughs> a lot of people hate the English, I doubt. That's not close.
1: What was that? They're wankers. Yeah,
0: they're you went wankers. very English. Went very. It's hard.
1: Okay, English. but you've you've targeted something which is very. It's it's. I think a lot of people can do a foreign accent, but once you start yelling, a lot of the rules go out the window. Yeah. Um, um. I
0: like if I can do if I focus. on... I can do like a fat bastard. Um. The grandpa from So I Married an Axe Murder. Like I can do that Scottish. If I really focus, I can get a little bit of a Sean Connery for a little bit. I don't know if I can do like a johnny lee miller in train spotting and i certainly can't do a spud or a robert
1: carlyle like your pleasure is my pleasure (laughs) Uh, (laughs) robert carlyle is speaking uh his own tongue all alone uh i i molly was watching this movie with me and she was (laughs) and she was like what what did what did he say and i was like and I was like, well, I know because I've seen this movie a dozen times. I've seen yeah. Train Spotting a dozen times. I've seen, I've seen a lot too.
0: But yeah, what well, we love to watch. It. When we podcast, we pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around that theme. And if we if we remember, we compare and dress We're in our second month of our summer double month of dorm room poster movies, where we talk about movies. Uh dorm room posters a good umbrella of uh movies that tend to be very influential to uh people uh people in general in their high school years and college years as like as they are discovering uh uh different different movies that are for burgeoning cinephiles some toxic some not so toxic uh and and a lot of times kind of the movies that is also part of kind of that film bro canon of movies that are very popular um with with a certain uh type of movie fan that in many ways is You don't want to be associated with. And so part of how that matches what Peter and I are trying to do is a lot of these movies we loved. Some of them we didn't. But most of them uh, we probably haven't seen in a while. And so we're trying to kind of come back and say, hey, these movies that represented a certain type of canon, so much so that like a lot of, uh, uh, you know, white, straight men wanted to put posters on their dorm rooms to show the world how cool they are with their movie taste. How do they hold up as we've uh, aged – Not just not just aged in general, but also have watched a lot more of a lot more movies. Do these still hold the same power? Um, This one's very this one I actually want to use to kickstart something we haven't actually addressed yet. But which which of these movies did you have? I I had I had movie posters on my dorm. Um, and why I think this is a perfect one to talk about. So I had a Fight Club poster on my dorm. Of course I did. Mm -hmm. It was my favorite movie at the time. Um, I had a, um, high fidelity poster, which was a little rare, but like I'd staken it from a movie store. Uh, the movie, I got posters at the movie video rental place I looked at. So I, I, had, I specifically carved that one out. Um, I had a Clockwork Orange poster, but not, uh, for the movies we're covering this month, but not. Uh, not in my dorm i got that later when i was like had a house in in college i did have a jumbo sized army of darkness poster that took up uh, a whole wall that uh, was great i had a transformers the 1986 movie poster um and i had i I think that was i think that was it but why i'm calling it out for this movie specifically is they had a poster sale and like that the first week of of school and I, th- I think i picked up something there i don't remember maybe the transformers posters where i got that one but they had they had a train spotting poster that was that i think a lot of people have seen that was the opening monologue the choose life right it had like the whole thing on a poster with like you know just train spotting at the bottom there's no characters there's everything anything else and I was, I wanted to buy it. And it was that thing where you're flipping through, you know, and you go like, I want number 45 and number 45, this spotting poster was out. So like, this was a poster that I'm like, fuck, that looks awesome. And I loved train spotting, I saw it in high school. We'll get to that. This was a poster. I legitimately really wanted to hang on my college dorm and it was out. And again, in a day of pre-internet ordering, it was like, well, I guess I'll never, ever get that ever. <laughs>
1: Okay, so I'll start with the posters that I've had in high school and college that are outside the canon, just to note them. Yeah, Um, just dorm room specifically. Uh, But I had, but I had a Breathless poster. Um, I had a Texas Chainsaw Massacre poster. I had a Leon the Professional poster. Had a Goldeneye poster. So those are kind of outside the bro canon, though. I feel like I I think Leon Leon is is the closest. It's as close as it gets. It's yeah. just that I don't think Luke Basson <clears throat> had that 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 particular juice to borrow the online cadence. No. Um, but um, oh, I also if I you had wanted
0: to of, let people know you were a feminist, you would have had a La Femme Nikita poster. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I ended up having a rotation rotating selection of yep. Quentin Tarantino posters. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I uh, I had a pulp, I think I had a Pulp Fiction. I had Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, and Inglorious Bastards at different times. Um, I and, aged out of
0: my poster era when um, when Inglorious Bastards had come out, but
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I was that was I was fresh yeah. a freshman yeah. in college. Yeah. Yeah. I saw I saw Inglorious Bastards on my like second day at college. Um, yeah. But like you know, we're not covering any Tarantino movies this summer, for, no. specifically because I think that Tarantino is somebody who has been well covered, and I've heard a lot of great podcasts and writing on Tarantino. And right now, I don't really have much to say about him that other people haven't said. I I agree. We talked about doing Pulp Fiction,
0: and it was like, do I like I do love Pulp Fiction. I I consider like Pulp Fiction, Django, and a lot of the glorious bastards like all mm-hmm. Jackie Brown, all amazing movies. Um, the the one on here that would actually probably qualify for what we're trying to do is probably Reservoir Dogs, which when I was a freshman in college, I would have called it my favorite Tarantino movie. And I watched it so much that I kind of burned myself out on it, and now i I haven't watched that movie in probably fifteen fifteen years, which is not true of most of his other
1: movies. but yeah, it's it's comp- like it's a lot to talk about. And so I yeah, yeah, it's a lot to talk about. I'm sure we could come it, it put on the spot we can come up with something interesting to say, but he is yeah. definitely one of those those directors where I'm like, I've read some really genius things on him. <laughs> also, if you open up your podcast app, and you search Pulp Fiction in the podcast section, um, it just never it never stops scrolling. I'm yeah. not saying all of these are individual podcasts that are covering Pulp Fiction, yeah. but I some I of them keep... might be about Pulp Fiction. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of them might be about the concept, but um, yeah. the point the point here is that like I think there's probably a lot of good good conversations out there that you know right now I I don't know if we need to have maybe later. Um, I did, so I, I did have Tarantino, even though he's absolutely in the bro film canon. Yeah. Um, I, uh, and I had a, specifically, I had a Clockwork Orange poster that I had on the wall my college, uh, no. Derm. I did have, it's not a film bro canon, but it should be in a just world. Um, I did have a Faster Pussycat Kill Kill poster on my wall that an, uh a uh, ex girlfriend accused me of having a porno poster on my oh. wall. And I was like, It's not porno. Oh and then I'm like, but just don't watch the movie though. It's I not called the Saturday but, but
0: pussycat come, come. <laughs> 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 Uh
1: She's killing yeah. people. She didn't she didn't like the poster very much. Yeah, yeah too much about It's a snuff
0: film uh I'm a huge fan of from an art perspective. Yeah, I, I definitely have – there was a space where once I was able to order posters from, like, eBay, I think at the time, even, like, pre-Amazon, when I was, like, probably, like, I don't know, 22, that I ordered a ton and started rotating them. I and I Most of those are gone. The funniest one I had that I liked is I had a print that I bought of the – you know, in Ghostbusters 2 where they become a
1: painting at the
0: end. Mm-hmm. Like, I had that one, and I I loved that.
1: I almost uh, really. got a Vigo the Carpathian one a few years yeah. ago, yeah. Um, but there was some discussion um, be- because um, I had a spot for it in the house that Molly found acceptable. It yeah. Was th- it was, like, a corner of... The is the neighbor's house <laughs> it's a corner of the house where, like basically <laughs> like, you're, you're according the to the plans
0: we own this but it's <laughs> technically in your house so we'll let you keep it we
1: won't annex it but i am gonna put my vehicle the carpathian poster in it <laughs> it's, it's 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 just you know it would have it would have been fine but whatever it was just like a corner of the house that no one would go to um but we made a determination that you like Neither of you need to get the biggest sized one. You can't get a little like 10 by 12 or whatever. Yeah. You got to get like. You got to get a big Vigo. You got it. <laughs> yeah. It's not I'm little Vigo. Yeah. When he climbs out of the painting. It's also true didn't... if you
0: get a big poster of Jean Vigo. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, where Vigo. All we'll Vigos. Vigo all.
0: Yeah, all Vigos. Yeah, we should definitely cover White Squall. Do you think that'll do something for our audience? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, like people would just see like
0: they're covered in white squall. I did see that movie in theaters, and I remember thinking it was okay. Yeah, um, complicated legacy. Probably, yeah. probably if you see that movie in a dorm room in twenty twenty three, get out,
1: get out, <laughs>
0: get. The, don't put that poster, out poster
1: though. Stay there. Stay in. <laughs> stay in. Person's got great taste. Um, but I will say, I will say, um, I. Uh, i didn't have some of these posters because okay so another theme of the summer that we keep touching back on is that these movies had a ubiquity in popularity among college-aged men between our two eras of going to college and we're not 20 years apart but like we're we cover enough of the millennial generation that this clearly like if i was still seeing boondock saints posters in in Um, college dorm rooms when I went to college and that when I went to go to the back to school shopping in the Chicago suburbs with my mom so we can get some shit for my uh, college dorm room we went to Target and Michael's and all that stuff the Michael's just buckets of posters there Mm -hmm. were dozens of Scarface, Fight Club the movies that we're covering this month like these specifically and then a few comedies that we're not covering because it's Kind of, I'd rather do them in a different month. Um, wow. But this specific type type of bro canon of men focused movies uh, stayed popular for a minimum of ten years among like college age guys, and I think it's worth talking about. And spotting is a unique one because Transpotting uh, was like a movie that like was not intended to be a big international hit, no. and it was not intended to have a big cultural impact. Um, But it made Danny Boyle like it took him from a up and coming director who had a hit under his belt. It took him into a specific level, a specific stratosphere that he was allowed to make what he wanted to because it had such an impact on British culture. So really quickly,
0: we've talked about the IMDb because you're talking about like like what has stayed relevant for like a certain age and we're it's not that like i mean we said we love shawshank redemption we said we love goodfellas but it's like a certain age of college students and, and a lot of times college men because like they are still discovering these at the same age like goodfellas was not like i i saw goodfellas 10 years after it came out right it wasn't like the, the movie everyone was talking about, but it was a movie that had held on to its, like, holy shit, you need to see this Cache Fight Club, I was right there at the beginning. You were there ten years later when it was still just there. So, let's – I want to quickly do this. So, like, this is the IMD movie list from a day ago. The new Spider-Man movie is number 15 on it. <laughs> tell you how recent it is. Number one, Shawshank. The, that is still the number – that has been the number one movie as, for as far as I – as so I can remember, number 12, Fight Club. Like number 18, Goodfellas. Like these movies, um I'm tr- Leon's 36. So that's only growing.
1: It's and impressive considering Luke Besson has no modern footprint that I can trace. I mean, somehow The Usual Suspects is still 43. Like do you I think, think some Usual of these Suspects just... is hanging You think some of these, especially Usual Suspects are hanging on because IMDb was so popular during that this should, period. Like You
0: can't unrate. I mean, American Beauty's number 68, and I know that's not part of the cultural
1: conversation. Nobody, nobody watches American Beauty still, right? No. I, I there's mean, still people maybe that say American do. Beauty is great. There's still people out there that say it's great, but there's not exactly. people that are actively watching it, right?
0: Clockwork Orange is 105. Scarface is 107. Trainspotting is 169. Nice. Pretty Could be nicer if it was just 69, but it's 169.
1: I would rate it if I made a 200 favorite movies for me. I probably would rate it, you know, in the 150s or whatever. Um it's a movie I quite love. Um but it's just I, do have it, I do have an unranked
0: like, top 250 It's just alphabetical order and train spotting is on it. As is for what is worth Fight Club and Goodfellas and the Shawshank Redemption. Like some of these movies have absolutely held their. Yeah, that's a movie I've watched enough times to to feel like I can say like of 250 movies, it makes sense. But obviously there's a reason why we're talking about these because they're worth talking about from our perspective. But again, three of these movies are in the top 25 of the current rating of IMDb. And, you know, Peter, you said, is it still like, is it still on there because the votes are so high and no one's going back and ranking it low anymore? Possibly. But again, the new Into the Spider-Verse movie is number 15. So clearly you can have movement of something significant enough that they're they're jumping up there. Uh, and there's a, a lot of other newer. Mo- I mean, Joker's like number seventy. That Joker's going to be the. It's going to be the Fight Club and the Goodfellas. Like the people that make this exact podcast twenty years from now are going <laughs> to be doing like uh Joker. I liked it when I was seventeen. How does it hold up? Like, and you're
1: you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. We could have done. Um, we could have done another series where we grabbed a Tarantino and we grabbed Joker and we grabbed sort of like the evolving. We would have to grab a Nolan, which <clears throat> it would be Dark Knight in that list. Um, uh, yeah, Dark Knight is very
0: high. Memento is very high. And Inception. Memento, I would rather I cover Memento,
1: obviously. Memento
0: is still my favorite Nolan. Prestige is probably. Favorite. I mean, I think Prestige is on the list. I think most I think the only Nolan that's on that list is the uh, is uh, Tenet. Tenet, and what was the one that uh, I really liked, but like felt felt like had less of a film bro cachet the the one right before Tenet, the war one. Oh, Dunkirk. Yeah, I was I, for some reason nineteen seventeen. I'm like, I know he didn't do that.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, Dunkirk. You know.
1: Dunk, Dunkirk is so much better than nineteen seventeen.
0: Yeah, so I, I I do think these movies like there are going to be people that probably find uh, an episode of this podcast that are like, I just discovered. <laughs> Fucking train spotting, and I want to talk about it. And if this is the one you discover. That's great news for you because train spotting still rules, and we're gonna start talking about it more right now. Uh, so train spotting, Peter. I watched it first, uh, even before I went to college, because I like I've told uh, mentioned before on the podcast that my two like attempts to be like I want to watch the greatest movies of all time or the AFI. Movie list, And then there's a book that I still have that is completely worn down. And at some point I'd like to buy a new copy that came out in like 1999 that some friends got me for a, a birthday present that was the New York Times thousand greatest movies of all time. One thing that's really cool about the book, the New York Times movie critics of 1999 compiled it. So they have a thousand of the greatest movies of all time. They have a lot of contemporary reviews from the New York Times that are very negative. So you kind of – the only thing you have is you have the movie. In alphabetical order, and then the review that was in the New York Times at the time it was published. So Train Spotting, I read that review over and over, and so I knew about the dead baby. I knew it was like really edgy. I knew about all that kind of stuff, and was like extremely excited to see it. And also it was like of that group of like movies that I was watching that wasn't like the AFI canon where you're watching a lot of like comedies from the 1930s and being like, do I like like Yankee Doodle Dandy all that <laughs> much? Um, it was like the shit that it was like felt like this is the stuff I'm excited about to learn about film history and to watch stuff that's considered the greatest. And there's fucking movies like Trainspotting that like I cannot wait to see. Uh, Trainspotting was not my first Danny Boyle movie. I had actually seen uh, A Life Less Ordinary when I was in junior high, not because of any Danny Boyle connection, but because of a the pretty lady from The Mask is in a movie and it's rated R. I would like to see that movie that movie was terrible, even for an eighth grader um have you ever seen a life less ordinary? No, it's the one it's I think that and the beach are the only boils I have loved uh the beach I really liked, but uh um uh, but yeah, so i but I did see Trainspotting. I loved it immediately um it it was I think probably my first I was young enough that it was my first introduction to Iggy Pop too, so I was like. You know, another movie on this list that also like connected me to uh, Iggy Pop and the Stooges, a band that obviously were bands and both a solo career that I ended up uh, like a lot of people. He's very popular liking. Um, and I went back and I, wa- I became like an instant Danny Boyle fan as you're kind of collecting directors who make amazing movies that you're seeing for the first time. I went back and watched Shallow Grave, which I have not revisited since I was in high school. And I have to say I didn't care for it all that much.
1: I I liked it a lot in college Um, as far as as far as calling card movies go. It's one of the better ones. Like if we're going to talk, if we're going to talk, you know, um, like uh, Christopher Nolan has following like, yeah, yeah. we're going to talk, you know, John Carpenter is Dark Star. Like, obviously, like almost nobody on the planet gets to have the reservoir dogs. But like, you know, a lot like. Kubrick had a couple bad movies before he, you know, um had his yeah. good movies. Like I didn't I,
0: hate I, I didn't hate Shallow Grave, and I really liked the concept. And I had a friend that's like, oh, you gotta see Shallow Grave, and I'm I remember just feeling it was like a little disappointing. I think I was expecting the kind of manic vibrant energy of train spotting, and it's a lot more subdued, at least from my memory, that I was like, that wasn't what I was looking for. But again, funnily enough. The Beach came out when I was in high school. That was two thousand, so I'd been a junior, and I saw it in theaters because I'd already seen Train Spotting. I'm like, the new Danny Boyle movie, and I fucking loved The Beach way more than I probably should have. That is worth a nostalgia audit at some point because it was on my first version of like my top twenty five movie lists, and like I loved The Beach. And my guess is it only kind of holds up if it, if at all. But um,
1: I feel uh, like we could do a colon- like a bro colonialist summer. Um, yeah, we already I mean, we obviously already covered a Harrison Ford movie that uh, Mosquito Coast that is, is that But yeah. like um, a, 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 mo- a movie about uh, a bunch of uh, uh, y- young dumbasses going to paradise, colonizing it and it not going great for them.
0: <laughs> little, little, uh, little hips, 2000 hipster kid techno babies, Lord of the Flies. <laughs> Yeah, so Peter, what was you, I'm assuming it's somewhat of it. like, these are not the most unique stories, admittedly, but, like, I did become a Danny Boyle fan for life, even though, like, you a know, fanny Slum- Boyle. I was a, I was a Fanny Boyle, uh, uh, I liked, obviously, 28 Days Later, uh, we covered Sunshine on this show, um, it's actually still one of our most listened to episodes, people love Sunshine, They don't talk about it
1: enough. I was a instant Danny Boyle fan, uh, mostly, uh, in a, like a lot of movies that we've covered this month was sort of programmed in me by my brother my brother introduced me to train spotting when i was like 13 or 14 um and i watched heroin when you laptop. were 15 or 16 <laughs> uh no he waited until i was 18 he
0: was goosing you up he's goosing you we up. goose him a little
1: it's an old circus trick Watch um, train
0: spotting and then give him heroin <laughs>
1: it's an old junkie trick yeah <laughs> um we show him just the first 45 minutes of train spotting we show him how yeah. cool it can be no he shut it off the movie does perfectly divide oh not perfectly almost perfectly divide into the fun half and the not fun half and which the baby was very dying, much his
0: intent yeah
1: yeah the baby dying is uh right in the middle um so okay um and my brother i think he just like I think he was just like, oh, I've got this cool movie that you've got to see. He had a train spotting poster on his wall that I believe he, um, I believe he had in his like Iowa. Dorm he probably room bought well. the last one. He, he the, got the he last. Probably one. He probably went to actually, Fargo, North
0: Dakota. He went and was far, like, I'll take exactly. one train spotting poster. I noticed it's the last one.
1: He actually uh, he drove north from Iowa where he went to no. college and just Not kept going until.
0: He was closer than I imagined. Like, I thought he was in Chicago, so I get that, like, it was a joke, and that he obviously was in, you know, was not in Fargo, but he was closer than I would have suspected, so I'm I'm not, I'm not saying it's not impossible now.
1: And they were saying, we got one more of these posters in Fargo, and he's, he said, I'll go far to Fargo. Go? Go.
0: Yeah, we could have covered Fargo.
1: So... Uh, I was obsessed with it. I showed it to a bunch of friends. Typical story we've talked about on here. Uh, I did not do heroin because of the movie. I watched the whole I thing. I still
0: haven't done it.
1: I have found it very, still haven't gotten out of the way. You know, it's never too late. Um, but I, I found it, uh, I watched it actually kind of around when I watched Requiem for a Dream. Oh. Um, when I was kind of collecting, uh, you know, the male auteurs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, I obviously became a Danny Boyle fan for yeah for life. I'm still. I'll watch basically anything Danny Boyle makes. Yeah. Um. I apparently have seen the Steve Jobs movie he made.
0: I do. I remember I for- it's good.
1: Yeah. I. I yeah. I forgot that I really really liked it. I watched it on a plane, yeah. but um, I'll watch anything he he makes. Uh, I just um, Train Spotting. I watched kind of around Requiem for a Dream, and I remember at the time being like. Requiem for a Dream is a yeah, yeah, I got it movie. And Trainspotting yeah. is a movie that you just keep chewing on and chewing on. So like Trainspotting is so singularly, so uh, Requiem for a Dream is so singularly focused on the idea yeah. that they're heroin addicts and they do heroin and everything yeah. they do is for heroin. But even though half, I'm going to say two thirds of the narration in the movie Trainspotting, maybe three-thirds, uh, three thirds, uh, three uh, of the lines are just straight up about um about heroin use the movie is about why he's an addict why his particular group of friends are addicts why they've fallen into this particular lifestyle what's what is appealing about this lifestyle to them like what actually makes them yeah. like uh not just keep jacking up their dose until they 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 disappear from the earth like what th- what, what is actually Im- important to them mm-hmm. um and the various ways in which Renton's morality is flexible around the particular situation he's in. Mm-hmm. And all of that I found so fascinating and, and, and like I'd never seen a drug story told this way. I'd never seen a story about adulthood that was told this way. Like that um, it was contending with this, this, up, this fear that you and I have talked about, particularly during the Fight Club episode, which is that like, you know what's up ahead of me? A fucking cubicle. Yeah, fuck you, my living a, a a straight man's life is is up ahead of me. The stable but incredibly soul crushing life is up ahead of me. And I remember transbody just not just being like, that would suck. Transpotty actually was like, hey, there there are a lot of people that couldn't didn't want to have that particular stable, you know, middle class upper middle class existence. And this is like one particular outlet to people who just like, no way, man. It's it's a, it's an entire movie about no way, man.
0: Yeah, it is so interesting that this movie um, begins essentially with the main character quitting. Doing the he the opening scene after e- even the scene that we've seen that opens like in Rez is like that was actually an editing change because they didn't feel like the opening of the movie was exciting. Like that that takes that takes place and the whole choose life monologue. It's supposed to happen in the middle of the movie, and they literally just okay. What would be more exciting? Because what one thing that's funny about the production of this movie that we can talk about a little bit so Danny Boyle had made shallow, uh, not shallow hell, shallow grave, um, he made, <laughs> and, then he, um and then he made uh, green room, yeah, he uh, was very anti racist, um, but also anti uh, body positivity, um, he uh. So he made Shallowgrave, and he had wanted to direct this uh, movie. It's based on a novel that came out in 1993, uh, Trainspotting, by uh, Irvine Welsh. Um, it, it, it's a loosely adapted. Like, they basically pick uh, – it's an episodic book about these characters, but they pick they, and, and – in adapting it, uh, they p- uh, pick and choose chapters that would be, like, filmable uh, that's kind of the story of the sequel, Porno and Spotting 2 as well, which we might talk about here at the end just for a second. Um, but they had no budget um, and they had some real trouble doing – figuring out all the casting components for it. The budget was so uh, low that uh, most of these scenes are the first take. They literally did not have the budget to do multiple takes. Um, And so, like, that kind of added to this idea of, like, the overall energy of these films. Are these characters giving it a whirl, doing it in front of the camera? There were some of the more complicated scenes, like the toilet crawling out scene or, like, the baby scene where they saved money for multiple takes. But, like, most of the – like, when you see people shooting stuff for the park, that is Ewan McGregor and Johnny Lee Miller extremely hungover from the night before doing one quick take and, like, moving on. So it had this, like – and. To your point, Danny Boyle wanted to make a movie that was like both a love letter to heroin, which they felt like and a dire warning against doing heroin with kind of this like never ending energy, which is actually something like the never ending energy piece has now come up in like essentially three movies. Like that was the fight club thing. That was the Goodfellas thing that they really tried to do of this idea of like, you're almost making a movie. That's as much a trailer for a different movie as it is a movie in itself. And I think that is, you know, there's probably some overall thematic thread that we can connect to why these movies connect to a certain age of people because they are really exciting. They grab you. You don't have to have that adult patience to be like, I'm going to get a lot out of this movie. If I just sit back and let it absorb, over me without distractions. I am, like, I am grabbed by this movie and I'm going uh, I'm going full speed ahead. But that particular scene, he moved because they were really trying to market this in, like, a very genius way of, like, let's make this pulp fiction. Let's make this English pulp fiction. Let's make people think that this is the English pulp fiction. And they, like, studied all the different ways that pulp fiction had grabbed the audience from, like, a brightly colored poster design to the way they were cutting trailers and they also said like we pulp fiction grabs you right away with this exciting like you know a uh, shootout shoot shooting the kids scene and like the the burger conversation that everyone's quoting so they had this edited cup and they felt like it t- took a little bit to kind of get into the movie and they said let's cut out the choose life monologue from the middle of the movie let's put it right up front so you you jump into the movie when the characters are running full speed there's a propulsive lust for life song going on and this person is shouting his philosophy at you as a heroin addict and like you know that was the, all those things were kind of the key to not just make this movie like you know i think opening with a bang and a lot we're going to talk about but that that kind of, like, let's try to market this very... And they even got Miramax involved for, like, a, a United States distribution to kind of do the same thing. Let's make this seem like it's a fun, exciting, energetic movie in the new mold of indie cinema that's kind of taking off with, with Pulp Fiction. And, like, they they did that. So they made this movie that a lot of critics were like, this is kind of gross. And it's uh, there were some critics at the time that were like, this is glamorizing heroin addiction and, like... Which is obviously like s- stupid and shitty and we'll talk about that. But like it's funny that they almost like – they tricked me. This was a huge movie in England. It was like the number one movie in England that year and then became a huge overseas hit. And they're just like let's do everything Pulp Fiction did and we can do it all again from a marketing perspective because we'll just say it's the English Pulp Fiction. And that's, that's kind of genius. The only other thing I'll say that's very funny about the marketing material because I know I've already said a lot – Do you know – did you read why uh, uh, – shit, what's his name? Uh, Tommy's not in any of the posters? (laughs) No. Uh, He was on a vacation with his girlfriend and they had the budget to go do all the marketing material for the posters. And, like, he was literally not in the same country and he couldn't fly back. So they did all the marketing material with everyone else. And he just wasn't there that day. So he's not in – and they did a lot of, like – that's the thing they did a very heavy marketing campaign where each one of these characters had their own poster with them looking you know kind of like
1: snotty or having fun or like everyone's seen these posters and they're all dressed really cool and they've got like they've got their thrift store uh chic kind of look right like and some of Renton's clothes are really ill-fitting but he still looks hot as hell because it's Ewan McGregor right yeah
0: Johnny Lee Miller's like sunglasses pointing at the counter Kelly McDonald's like screaming like she's at a club and I remember thinking like who's this other guy like when i first saw the movie it's so weird he's not anywhere on anything and you're like oh he must not be one of the main characters but he really is in the book and he's such a critical part of the movie too it's only because they're like oh shit we have a studio time (laughs) where's where's tommy uh and he's like i'm i'm can you i'm literally not in the country i can't come down to the studio to take pictures how much must that have sucked for a movie that became this big of a hit and the posters are still uh you know ubiquitous and the the marketing imagery that you're just not on any of them because you took a trip and no one told you.
1: Yeah. And I have to, I have to think that like the iconographic uh, quality of this movie that people remember basically all the care, the, the main set of characters Um and they remember their names and and such. I have to I have to think that they say it right in the poster, sick boy. (laughs) Right? Renton. Yeah. Yeah, I have to I have to think that some of uh some of his cachet after this movie was lost because like he kept Kevin McKidd kept acting, like right? Kevin McKidd has had has had a healthy career, but I have to imagine like (laughs) losing some uh train spotting train spotting um 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 cachet had to suck. Did you know what Kevin McKidd made most of his money on, though? Uh, Percy Jackson? He was in 339 episodes of Grey's Anatomy.
0: 339?
1: Uh, he's probably oh my, made. Oh as my much. God. He's
0: on 339. According to this, he started in season five. So they did a whole hundred episodes before he's like,
1: I'm going to start in like 400 of these bad boys. It is funny. You have to look back at their IMDb's and be like, Ewan mcgregor probably has more money with him because of star wars shit but like yeah. other than Ewan mcgregor like all the other actors that you probably know a little bit better you've seen in bigger movies like you Mac- like this kevin McKid must be doing fucking well for himself right he,
0: i mean hopefully he demanded a gray's anatomy poster with his face on it like, <laughs> like, this is a big big cultural moment <laughs> <laughs> to, to, making to a big open mouth like i'm doing i'm
1: doing medicine
0: but yeah, like, as much as. I don't know as, why like, he has that accent. <laughs> like, I don't even want to get into, like, the. Like, obviously, like, Mirabach's in the 90s. And we're going to be. Unfortunately, we were talking about uh, uh, the monster at the center of that uh, in our ending month episode because, like, uh, Harvey Weinstein is a huge presence in Overnight that we're going to be talking you, about. You
1: can't. We can't talk about Boondock yeah. Saints without talking about Overnight because Boondock Saints is all part of the story. It makes me yeah. sad that we didn't cover Pulp Fiction only because. It's kind of part of the stories of the other movies this month. Yeah, not all of them. Well,
0: what's funny was- is that like I almost regretted that we did this first for before Clockwork Orange because like seeing it now and like having a, a lot of time removed because at the time I saw Clockwork Orange and and this and Train Spotting pretty close to each other I didn't like connect them but like when I'm you know I just read the Clockwork Orange book in preparation for our future recording of that that'll come out. Um, in two weeks Um, and it was like oh my god like of course uh, Danny Boyle modeled tons of Renton's character on Alex like it's so like this movie takes a lot from Clockwork Orange up to like the club is 100% designed uh, with the same font and like the same shot as they go in on their friends as the milk bar in Clockwork Orange like felt like almost like oh shit we probably should have done this in a different order um, it's fine. We, there's not that much connection that we need to, but like, which is also like very critical for like this movie and the decisions Renton makes Renton ends with a narration that he is a bad guy. Yeah. He's not a great guy. Like he, and, and he doesn't learn an anything. He's not about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A hundred percent. And like the, he is, yes, he is better than fucking Robert Carlyle's character in this movie. But at no point does he have, like, a moment of redemption. He quits heroin sometimes and tries to, like, do some things a little better. But, like, this movie is reminding you he is not a hero to root for. You're rooting for him because he's Ewan McGregor. And it's like Roger Ebert said, movies are empathy machines and that's why they can be so powerful and sometimes so dangerous because regardless, you're rooting for the person that is – especially when they have like the power of the voiceover narration because you're in his head and you're forced to be for an hour and a half. But like, you know, Danny Boyle was like – Alex is the the platonic ideal of – Someone who you kind of are rooting for in that movie because he's played very charismatically by Malcolm McDowell. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But, like, obviously, Alex is a terrible person, you know? And yet, we had our walls adorned, both of us at one point had our walls adorned with fucking Alex from Clockwork Like, look, look at this guy. This guy's quite the troublemaker. Isn't he? <laughs> like, um, so it's. Like the connection is very obvious. So it almost makes me wish that we would have um, covered it, done a little river. little
1: order. But yeah. Well, let's let's talk yeah. about train spotting.
0: Yeah. Sure. Like right now. Take us through train spotting, and do you know why it's called train spotting? There's like five different competing stories. Yeah, so they never explain it in the book. Yeah, and they never, so they never explain it in the movie, and then they explain it in porno, and then they explain it in T two, which are two different explanations.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I have a, I have a theory that kind of combines some of them. So, to me, what the movie is actually about is about, say, specifically a very Scottish movie that also has some British people in it doing uh, Scottish accents. But one. <laughs> um, I mean, it's all, it's only
0: one. Only Johnny Lee Miller is not, uh, not Scottish. Yeah, but Mike
1: Myers playing Fat Bastard isn't Scottish. I don't mean, like, in the entirety of human existence. I meant in this <laughs> Mike, movie. I was implying the Fat Bastard was in this
0: movie. Fat <laughs> yeah, like Bastard actually
1: gained that. weight from doing heroin. <laughs> Mike Myers was
0: probably very upset he was not cast. Uh, Johnny Miller was cast, though, because he does a Scottish accent. He does Sean Connery in Hackers. And Danny Boyle was like, that's pretty convincing. Uh, yeah, And Danny Boyle is not Scottish. So. Oh, the other funny thing. No, the other funny thing about that is that he... Stay, he kept doing, and I, I don't know. Like when you do accents, I'm sure it is hard to drop in and out of it. So he did the Scottish accent the entire time he was making this movie, and obviously he's not like a huge actor uh, at the time. Um, no one really is. So when he went to the premiere, he fi- had dropped the Scottish accent, um, and all of his cast members thought he was doing it. They're like, "That's they didn't realize that he was not Scottish and that wasn't how he talks."
1: That's that that has to be. That has to be, like, a mix of the cast, though, right? Because, like, Johnny Lee Miller was, like, such a goofy young guy. Like, the commitment to the But I mean, he has-
0: plays, I mean, if you saw, even if you saw Hackers, though, he's doing an American accent. And yeah. so you could be like, oh, he's doing an American accent. This is how he talks. And they didn't realize that was an
1: accent. Johnny Lee Miller might be the richest member of the cast. For what? The he's elemental fr- show. Uh, elementary. Oh, yeah,
0: probably. That was a huge show. There was a huge show. Like, I forgot for he, I forgot that show even exists. That is such the era of, like, I don't watch TV anymore. Like, that the fucking number one show on CBS for five years, I can forget exists very easily.
1: Like, unless Ewan got paid a huge bucket of money for uh, Obi-Wan. It depends if he got, he probably,
0: he was the biggest cat. I mean, him and Liam Neeson were. He probably got some good merchandising rights or something. I'm sure he's made a boatload. Hopefully for him. Okay, so. My- and that down-to-earth money. Yeah, is that yeah, what yeah, it's yeah. called? Is it called down yeah. Earth? <laughs> I think
1: so. All right, or so, no, okay. down, down by love. I think it's down by love. I think down to yeah. Earth is just the Chris Rock. Yes, <laughs> here's what I think that the, the 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 title means because it has a purposefully non canonical answer. Yeah. Yes, they do literally watch trains, and it's like in in the T two movie, they literally like all meet while they're watching trains. Yeah, my canonical answer for this is that these are a bunch of young people who are in Scotland and they Mm -hmm. do not have the same economic access to economic like benefits that like, you know, maybe their English peers would have. There's a reason why they go to, there's a reason why they go to London as a huge plot point to access greater money. Right. Yeah. And, um, they feel sort of dead ended by not just like culturally, they feel like their only options are to like, go get a boring office job or an exploitative office job, um, or become a bum. Um, their like concept of the future is incredibly limited. Like none of them particularly seem to want like a rich and engaging future, like in in that sense, because they have kind of given up on the idea that they deserve or that they have even the possibility of hoping for a bright future. There's multiple speeches in the movie about, or at least one central major speech that kind of tears, tears off into other areas about how these guys are all like, I have no patriotism for being Scottish. Like I've been, all of that has been ground out of me. Like we got colonized by wankers. Like the, the, that, that whole thing. colonized by wankers. That speech is so good. It's so good. Um, and, uh, the, that, the, these guys feel like they're just a dead end and it's an understandable feeling that you're at a dead end, right? It's something that you can relate to in a lot of ways in this movie. And there's, Scenes of them just watching the trains and in England, in the UK, kind of like a thing that like people with nothing better to do is like literally watch trains. And the idea is that like you don't have anything better to do. So why not do heroin? Right. It makes you feel amazing for a period of time. And then it at least gives you a purpose. Your purpose is continuing to feed your habit. And then also there's something I've never seen in any of the explanations. But like heroin gives you track marks. Yeah. You literally have track marks down your arm. It probably is something like a train. train. You're train spotting. You're like spotting trains. Yeah. That's my explanation. These are people that with there's a there's a literalist metaphor that like you're this is an activity for people with nothing better to do. But they also are spiritually they're watching trains. They have nothing better to do with their lives. Why not go do heroin?
0: I will say that the most confusing thing about heroin as a drug, which is a drug I've never tried is that you have movies like this and Requiem for a Dream and Breaking Bad that I actually trust their depiction of heroin to an extent that visualize heroin as like, I do an injection then I lay on a mat for eight hours and I feel great during that time. Uh, and sometimes I guess I just go to sleep, which is why people like choke on their vomit because they are conked out, I guess, feeling amazing, um, I'm not trying to question that you feel amazing on heroin. It's like, that's, I I don't know if you know this, that's what it's known for. Primarily. It's like, you feel amazing, but then that, that is intercut with also like some stories of drug addicts and some drug media where they treat heroin, like cocaine and people are out and about doing things and they're all drugged out on heroin. And I really, uh, as again, as someone who hasn't tried it yet, there's a lot of time left in the world. um, I, uh, I, 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 I feel like I don't understand. Those just feel like cocaine depiction is very consistent marijuana uh, depiction why exaggerated is usually unless you're watching fucking reefer madness is usually very consistent in movies like I uh, haven't done enough research besides the movies I've watched that feature heroin to understand like so is that it you take the injection you just lay down on a mat for a while or why are some people up and at and doing things on heroin
1: I think I think Danny Boyle who uh, admit, admitted you know he's never been much of a drug addict he likes yeah. some party drugs and he was involved yeah. in like clubs scene and stuff, but Daniel Boyle basically admits, he's like I liked like MDMA and such like I think he wanted to make an MDMA or a Coke movie. Um he wanted to make a party drug movie um because it's more fun to watch. I'm guessing that like Slower, boring, less glamorous movies are a more realistic depiction of of heroin. I, I agree. I said I said I, that Deon said, and Ewan McGregor
0: actually almost took heroin, yes. to prepare for the role, and he he said maybe this isn't a good idea. Famously addictive in a negative way. It's like don't take math if you're an extra on on uh, Breaking Bad either. These, yeah, are, yeah. these are not these are not lo- try it at a party drugs.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this is not like a. <laughs> this is not like hey i'm gonna take the spirit molecule into myself tonight and then like 15 minutes later you're just tired and want to go to bed um this is this is like serious serious business right um but yeah there's there's stories of ewan mcgregor just really wanting to make sure that he nailed this because he had the sense that like him and danny boyle were like it. it and some of the other producers involved as well. But him and Danny Boyle were like, they're on a, on this rocket ship, right? Like, that they're like, their careers are in this unique place that if they don't stop right now, like, they can do whatever. And, and I think Ewan McGregor was like, I want to make sure I get this right. I wanna make, and, and I uh I think that it's good that Ewan McGregor, one of my first male crushes, did mm-hmm. not do heroin, actually. Because um, yeah. he did great in the movie, you know? Yeah, without without doing heroin i also think like really quickly before we get into the
0: plot ewan mcgregor is amazing like i love ewan mcgregor i agree he was definitely like a uh an easy like i think there's the two crushes i came out of this movie with were kelly mcdonald and ewan mcgregor um ewan mcgregor has always had a fascinating career for me because he seems bomb proof He's been in so many good movies. He's been in some extremely shitty high-profile bombs, and he feels untouchable. No one, you know. Sometimes when like an actor starts being in movies that aren't popular, like a Down with Love, as an example, that was a big budget sort of flop. I've never seen it. I don't know if it's any good. But it, like, it, he's it in a color. lot. He's in a lot of those, and it just never seems to matter for him. He'll go back and do like some British TV movie. He'll be like in like you know a, the the fifth male lead in Haywire. He'll go do a fucking animated movie. He'll be He's in, an really A-list good in Haywire. Movie. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he just like he is untouchable. It seems like from a career perspective, and I really love that because he deserves to be uh he can do he's amazing in most roles he always seems to give it his all he seems to be the only person trying his heart out in those uh uh star wars prequels that i think at this point culturally are the best movies of all time but, <laughs> but i mean he really is like doing things every single time in those movies uh, i just i just find it fascinating that he's never like had that kind of career trajectory of like man you've been in some big like jude law kind of had that for a while he was in a lot of stinkers and people were like, "Oh, maybe he should only do side characters." And then he kind of came out of it by being a character actor. For but like, but like, Ewan McGregor just seems untouchable. By whether the movie's successful, he's gonna go do the next thing regardless.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, I, I love that for him. Just I, lo- I, I love that for him as well. Uh, Jude Law had an interesting trajectory where, like, uh, you know, he was so hot. That they were like, he has to be our rom-com lead, and then a lot of those movies are not very good. Um, And then they kind of figured out, like, actually, he kind of needs to be the weirdo, and then people lost yeah. interest in him for a long time, which is very yeah. weird. He's a very good actor. Um, even very... McGregor seems to be more or less having the career that he wants to have, Um yeah. which is great. He also, like... Uh, have you seen Fargo season three? Uh I've only seen Fargo season one. So it's not... Like, the greatest television show of all time. I pr- I love season one and two. Um, but season three is him and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who are two of, of my life crushes. Um, yep. I don't use the word hall pass because, you know, that's, that's derogatory. Um, I would cheat on my wife with either of them. Yeah. Regardless of whether hall she's pass. giving you a pass. Hall pass. Yeah. Grow up. I
0: mean, regardless. Yeah. Grow
1: I don't need up. permission.
0: I will throw away my life <laughs> for the chance to sleep with either of them. <laughs> um <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> but uh yeah uh obviously joking but they um but not also and uh yeah i mean the it's fact to that say are
0: joking when neither of them are sleeping with you two might not
1: they're sleeping what? with each other and i guess i can you know choose to be mad about it or choose to be happy for them and i'm choosing um like, privately can be I'll, I'll be at the foot of the bed i'll be choosing privately in a way that makes me look good um yeah. um but yeah so like uh, they met on the set of that uh, on Fargo season three when he got to do this crazy uh, per- twin performance. And oh like, wait, are they dating in
0: real life or married in real life? Yeah, they were married in real life. Oh, sorry, I don't keep they up with TMZ. They were in and a toxic weird, magazine.
1: They, they were in a toxic, weird crime relationship in Fargo season three, and then they met through there. And oh, so you kind of want to just be adopted by them? You are like, hey, I, hey. I want to call him daddy. Yeah. Danny and i don't want to young. go any further than that <laughs> but yeah so i uh e- ewan mcgregor is somebody who i quite admire and i do think that like for somebody that you know uh he had a falling out with danny boyle they apparently over the beach again
0: yeah over the beach so he um so I, they, uh, danny boyle had cast ewan mcgregor in his first three movies they were good friends a life less ordinary which i mentioned which was like the the idea was to do a love story with absolutely no emotion or actual love like a too cool for school love story and it really with actual guardian angels and a crime spree and i mean again i saw the movie at an age where i should have just been happy to see a rated r movie and pretty people and i it, it was terrible um but that movie's like lack of commercial success meant the studio when he got the job to do The Beach, from which was a 20th Century Fox movie, they're like, you can't, like, the last movie you did with Ewan McGregor was a disaster. You have to cast a more bankable star. And obviously, Leonardo DiCaprio was, interest, was interested and still is uh, interested in working with, like, critically acclaimed directors and was coming off of Titanic, which was a 20th Century Fox. And they're like, put Leonardo DiCaprio in the movie, and Danny Boyle did. And Ewan McGregor was like, fuck you. Like, yeah. uh, we, we, I, we were going to make this together. I love the book. Uh, they didn't talk again apparently until 2014, uh, and that's when because originally he wanted to shoot the sequel Train Spotting. Porno takes place nine years after Train Spotting, and he wanted to make. He always had intended to make it. Waited them for them to age nine years, and then he was going to make it. And then they, but they didn't. They weren't friends again <laughs> until 2014. They apologized to each other, mended their relationship, so it ended up being a 20 year. A sequel story as opposed to a which, and
1: we have we the we books the, that the reviews the book um a book that nobody seems to like it sounds like uh waiting that extra little bit and doing what they did with t2 which is very cool um right move right move
0: i think we're getting closer uh, we can say it here like of actually doing the sequel month because so many of these movies have spiritual or or actually a canical sequel that we're thinking about doing a sequel month to this, which is appropriate for a dorm room poster.
1: (laughs) And I love a lot of, I love a lot of those. uh, Yeah. I'd love to do
0: casino and, and train spotting too, but I love Carlito's way. It's a movie I really like, Um, but to put, so to put a button on that quickly, like I absolutely love T2 and I think it's a movie that like works best. If you saw train spotting, around 1996 and you saw T2 when when you, when you were like in your uh, teens or twenties, and then you saw teen two when you were in your thirties or, or late twenties, 20 years later, because it really is like, it is, it is, it is better than I would have ever expected. And yeah, whatever I've never read porno. I've never read train spotting, almost read train spotting, but I was limited on like prep for the <laughs> book prep for this month. Cause I read Clockwork Orange and uh, Shawshank Redemption. Uh But I, I would love to talk about T2 because it is a it's a it's a rare legacy sequel that was in production hell for a while and delayed because of a broken friendship that like ended up sentimental in a way that like sentimental good in a mm-hmm. way that this movie like the idea of a sentimental sequel to Train Spotting seems like the worst fucking idea on paper. We'll get to why in this movie because this movie doesn't really have a sentimental bone. And its body and its characters are not beyond redemption, but not even asking for it in this movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what's the plot? Go through it really quickly. Um, Renton is a uh, drug addict. Um, He has uh, a group of childhood friends, some of which are also heroin users, um, and some of them are not. Um, One of them may also
0: be his parents' friends. Like, I'm not sure whose friend Bigby is.
1: Bigby was a childhood friend of his that he just... Is it? Yeah, from soccer... He see, okay.
0: Two. Yeah, I guess because he's but he that scene where his parents are celebrating that he doesn't go to jail, like Begbie seems like he is friends with his parents as much, and Robert Kyle has a very slippery age compared to the rest of them in this movie.
1: I think I think the fact that they're well, yeah. Um, but I think the fact that that, that the, the what's Sick Boy is also playing that game as well. Mm-hmm. And I think the point is that since they're all childhood friends, none of them actually want to disappoint their parents. Yeah. Um and a lot of them live with their parents, so oh, yeah. You know, from time to time. <clears throat> so, okay. Um, Retton is a uh, heroin user. He's trying to kick the habit. Um, I'm going to skip the media res opening and just get right into the movie. Um, group of friends is like uh, essentially just kind of rolling through episodic adventures in their life. and it's this, and, and the story arc
0: isn't... Well, they're doing a quick intro of everyone, like complete with that flashy, like sick boy... Like spot and narration around, like so, it's doing that kind of thing of like getting you excited very quickly.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 the point is that like we're introduced to who these characters are pretty quickly, but they're all going to get their own kind of individual space to show you like kind of some of their degradation and some of the problems that are wrong with them. Yeah. Um. So okay. Um. Renton's big thing is that like he's our protagonist and he is a completely unreliable narrator. Renton is a guy who dresses well he's handsome he has a million dollar smile um and he knows how to tell a joke so we forgive him or or see past him in moments where he is just completely self-serving he also has a sense of morality
0: that he explains but ignores yes like he understands like that that sick boy is an asshole but – and, like, he understands what B does is wrong, but he has no problem in participating himself. So, I, it almost gives you a false sense. Yeah, or enabling, or directly doing it. Like I said, like, it's kind of a genius way to accidentally constantly make you think that he's better than the rest of the group. Because, yeah. I mean, he is slightly better than the worst of them, which is B, But he is also, like – Judging them and participating at the same time. But since we're hearing his judgments and not sick boys perspective or baby's perspective or Spud's perspective, we are like just on his side even when he's the asshole.
1: And to give you some examples of things that he does that just kind of roll off the movies back. um, He He steals Tommy's sex tape, steals Tommy's sex tape, uh, which is a complete act of violation. Doesn't tell him. Um, let's him think that like a video store possibly has it. Yeah. Um, breaks, and, then and then
0: boringly and, and, watches it with his fr- with his other friend of this person, which is yeah. Such, yeah.
1: It's more it's more like a a, a a easy cheap violation that he can get away with, and you know whatever. Um, so, I remember being a, just really quickly. I remember being like
0: an eighth grade, and I stole a friend's love note to a girl that he liked. And thought it was like, I, like again, thirteen or fourteen, and like showed it to a friend, and we laughed about it, and like that was a years long rift because I didn't even quite. I'm like, oh, but it's kind of funny. Like, look at all these nice things you wrote. Like, like you know, and like just laughing at it because we're immature and idiots, and like, like re- recognizing much later, like, oh my God, what a terrible violation that we like stole a note that he wrote to a girl and then read it and laughed about it like no wonder at a very
1: vulnerable age right yeah Yeah, yeah. i'm sure i did shit like that too as a kid and and at the time i was like it's funny don't think take things so seriously it's just a joke yeah he enables begbie um who is not a ever a heroin user but he is uh i mean they're all kind of they're all kind of substance abusers he's He's a, an a violent alcoholic who, and a violence person. He's an alcoholic, but he's mostly a violence aholic He's a yeah, He's a He's, a, a, he's a, a true. He's tr- a true sociopath who will start bar fights and act like a nut job. And all of them are just like that's bad. but he's our mate, you know. Yeah. There's a, there's a line that Tommy says at some point where he's talking about bag- there's a there's an anecdote where he's talking about a begby bag- almost killed the guy for opening a bag of chips, which screwed up his his pool shot. Yeah. And Tommy's like, yeah, but he's our mate. We've known him since we were kids. And it's like, that is enablement. Like, just letting yeah. people get away with the most disgusting shit because, like, you knew them. The other thing about Baby that is, like, apparently
0: explored more in porno, but Robert Carlos says he played him as a uh, closeted gay man who was constantly trying to prove his, heterose- his virulent heterosexuality and and was kind of in denial about his own sexuality, which I think is ends up getting confirmed in porno. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the, but obviously that came out, but that that was kind of the take that Robert Carlyle had on the character. Um, I don't know if that's even uh interesting or reductive or whatever else, but like there's a couple scenes in the movie that kind of speak to like his need to kind of protect his toxic masculinity and like, the Way that he's just uh uses violence as a way to d- deflect from like self actualization,
1: yeah. No, I think that's uh, I think that's true, and I think that's it's a little bit more explicit in T2. Um, yes, uh, at least to me, I read it more clearly in T2. Um, yeah. but different time, different era, right? Um, but uh, I also there's also in the group Sick Boy, played by Johnny Lee Miller, apparently, um, while this movie was going on he was with Angelina Jolie <laughs> yeah. and they would like fuck around on set and make noise when Danny Boyle was trying to take shots of other people it's like yeah. um Jenny Lee Miller um is sick boy he's he's the guy that is constantly coming up with the scams, crazy capers
0: and schemes
1: and he's also the one that's the most he's the smoothest talker of the group Renton is yeah. close but he's the bullshitter that all of them kind of have relied on to get them out of trouble in the past and he seems to he seems to be bulletproof in a lot of ways he
0: does until until his until his uh, baby dies yes he, cuz he even says in the beginning of the movie when rat uh, stops doing heroin and he talks like here's my process it's going to be very hard for me and he's like explaining it and he he says hey sick boy also stopped doing heroin not cuz he wanted to but he wanted to show me how much easier it was for him to stop than than it was going to be for me um, which I think we all recognize that they're, like, of having that kind of friend who, like, is in a constant series of one-upmanship, not from, like, a violence perspective, like a Big Bigby, but just as, a, like, a weird, like, I'm the king of the friend group, so I'm going to win at, even, like, in this, you know, extreme example, kicking heroin
1: yeah. for a month. Yeah, no, it's 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 true. I think we recognize sick, the sick boy archetype and the fact that, like, he gets along with the parents so well, but, like... Yeah. His scams are all these like fuck up dumbass schemes that like at the end of the movie the big haul is sixteen thousand dollars split four ways. Like yeah, I so I did the they math. Even make on jokes that. about this. They make jokes about this. They're like, you can't buy an island for four thousand dollars. You could buy a rock for four...
0: <laughs> So I did the math on that in today's dollars through pounds because I was like, they get sixteen thousand pounds, and I'm like. Maybe that, like, the pound conversion inflation, that is, it's like $39,000
1: American. (laughs) Like, it is, it is, like. Absolutely not worth the risk in carrying
0: around. $10,000 to get 10 years in jail is not the right level of
1: scam that you should be doing. And that's part of the, 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 that's part of the movie, right? It's like, they don't have anything else better to to do. Um, Spud's like, do you want to go back to jail again for tickets? He
0: was in jail. He's like, just want the money. (laughs) Like. $10,000, Ten thousand dollars—it might as well be a million dollars to these people. That's that's yeah. your point earlier, yeah.
1: So okay, um, Spud is the next one. And did you know Ewan Bremner um, played, played Renton on the play version of the in the play yeah. version, and then he ended up pe- playing him, and <clears throat> and he played him playing Spud in the movie. And apparently, he was very gracious and, and yeah. kind about this. This did not cause a deep hatred of Danny Boyle later. Um, well, yeah. the weird thing is, is that uh, after he left
0: the the, it's a very version.
1: Spud move, by the way. Yeah.
0: After he left the stage version, Leonardo DiCaprio took over for him, so that would hurt. I think he's really hurt. he actually had a big
1: falling out with the director of the stage version. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just got obsessed with Danny Boyle. He's yeah. like, I have to work with him. Yeah. Um, but Spud is 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 his name is how he sounds. He's the sweet innocent of the group. Yeah. Um he's the he's the one that gets away at the end with some money. Um and he's the one that, like, just basically, he's the he's the member of the group that doesn't have a lot of anything. He doesn't have any real ambition. He can't really maintain a relationship. He um, can he's barely string together
0: up, a sentence.
1: Yeah, he, he's the one that ends up, um, like, embarrassing himself in, in front of his girlfriend. He's the one that ends up going so, to jail when such... Renton talks his way out of it. Renton's like, oh, I'll sign up for a treatment program, and then I'll get yeah. methadone in the morning. And then Renton's fine. And Renton comes up. Renton's not the smooth talker sick boy is, but he's close. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, you got Bagby, We already talked about psychopath. Um, Tommy. And then Tommy. Who you've forgotten because like, he's out of the posters. Tommy is 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 another innocent of the group. I don't think Tommy has a, a real mortal sin except for being kind of just a, a dumb young guy. Tommy has a girlfriend. He's really into athletics. He's really um, just kind of a, a normal dude. Um, he seems it, like the one, like, Renton likes hanging out with him because he doesn't... He is just a guy. Like, he's not using him for anything, also because he's not a user. Well, no, he does use heroin. Tommy is not a heroin user at the beginning. Tommy doesn't start using heroin until about an hour in the movie.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, he does. He does. I thought you were saying that.
1: He does yeah. not use heroin. He Tommy, so Tommy is the one who... um. He's, you know, he, he 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 has these like seemingly healthy, normal interests, and then um, his life falls apart a little bit. His girlfriend dumps him uh, partially because uh, Renton stole his well, because sole, solely because he says he says it's that and then he he fucked up some birthday. He fucked up her oh, birthday. Oh, Iggy and Pop! Stuff. Yeah, he bought he forgot about
0: her birthday and bought tickets to Iggy Pop and chose the Iggy Pop concert.
1: And like he he basically like Renton is he's like. And Renton's like, no, I'm not giving you heroin, fuck you. And then you find out as soon as he produces money, Renton's like, well, if we could both get high, yeah. Um, like Renton's morality is literally like it's extended to the to the the little. Oh, bit if like, I could, a, yeah, if
0: I could get high and you could buy me my heroin
1: hit, I guess I could let you get a heroin hit. Yeah. So Tommy, Tommy, at some point in the movie, um, he has been brought so low that he is like, I just I want to feel okay. All of you guys do heroin. Why can't I? I'm a, I'm a fucking adult. Um, and then uh, Tommy's life goes precipitously downhill because of this. So Tommy, Tommy catches HIV from one of his dirty from one of the dirty needles. Renton somehow doesn't get it. Um, well, and
0: Rent notes it too. Like he's living. He he basically has that scene where he's in the bingo hall after he's he's like actually kicked heroin. And like life is moving past, and he like has that mo- almost a moment of reflection after he found out about Tommy that he's like, you know, basically been living fast and loose in a careless life in the middle of an epidemic, and I got off scot free, but now I'm like miserable and and can't do the thing I want to do.
1: Yeah, and um, so Tommy doesn't die of HIV; it does completely destroy his life and 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 get him make him a ridicule of like neighborhood bullies and shit. But he, um, Tommy dies of toxoplasmosa because his life has fallen so apart that, um, I think that there's a, there's a cat that he got to try and get back together with his girlfriend and the cat shit in either his food or his heroin or whatever. And he, um, died of a stroke.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know a lot about toxoplasmosis because we have a cat and, uh, my wife has been pregnant two of the three times we've had a cat and like you can't change the litter box. You can't go near it. Like uh very dangerous, even for our cat. That's a house cat and doesn't go outside. That's usually where they get it. So it's safer. But like, yeah, like toxoplasmosis is one of those big things that you go through with your, uh, if you're, if you're having a kid with your <laughs> doctor of like, keep the pregnant person away from cats and litter and litter box. Cause yeah, it's a, it's a very serious thing.
1: Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, like in, in, in there's certainly mild cases that we don't exactly know what it does, but like it's absolutely not something you want to give a baby, right? Um, but Tommy apparently gets yeah, a don't piper. give a baby
0: toxoplasmosis.
1: Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, you just don't want a baby to get it. We still yeah. don't exactly know what don't it does put it on in your the register. long term. Um, I don't know if a cat shitting near your needles or whatever will give you a stroke. I have no. We I don't, I don't think we know. But well, toxoplasmosis does cause strokes. Yeah, but how does that... The point is that most cat owners, a majority of cat owners, have it to some degree. Yeah. What degree does your body have to have it before it causes actual, like, access to uh, so the So I think...
0: Brain? No, so it's, it's like, the idea was that his immune system was weakened by the HIV, which mm-hmm. I don't think is quite accurate.
1: But... Yeah. I, I don't totally know if it's scientifically accurate, but the idea is that, like, everyone thinks he's it's, it's supposed to be of HIV, an death, but he know. dies because of this cat, which is kind of this, like, extra tragedy on the death of this innocent, yeah. because... Because Tommy is an innocent in his his like innocent little way of trying to like get back with his girlfriend. Like we can bond over this cat. Absolutely, just imploded. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and then we've got um a child that Renton has sex with. <laughs> yeah. God.
0: Yeah, that is uh. So it's. I mean. Th- in the movie, they don't say her age. You know she's in high school. But in the movie, she is supposed to be 14. Now, Kelly McDonald, when she was cast for the movie, it was her first movie. They wanted an unknown person. They wanted an unknown person specifically, Danny Boyle says, because they needed to be able to cast someone who was 19 or 20 or something like that for the scenes that they were doing. But you could, you could potentially realistically think of her as a high school person because – you didn't know her from other movies. So they cast an unknown. Kelly McDonald, who's uh, great in a lot of movies, um, is really good in this movie as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I like, it's one of those weird things where it feels like it's played. I mean, it's not played for no big deal in this movie. Like she threatens to call the cops on him if they don't continue, continue the our relationship.
1: Yeah. And
0: he, I mean, the, the scene of him waking up and being like, are you her flatmates then? Like, and it's like Flatmates to the parents, that's a new one. Like, it's a it's a funny, it's somewhat of a funny scene. Um, but like the joke is not the joke, but the point is, like, so he didn't know initially, his initial reaction is I need to get out of here. And then later on, he is fine continuing to hang out with her because as he says, he is a bad person. He is a terrible person who talks about morality. But is ultimately a selfish person who will do whatever the fuck he wants if it's what he wants to do in the moment.
1: So, and all she yeah. has to do is offer, like, uh, if you don't continue this relationship, I'll get you in trouble. And he doesn't even argue with it. He's just like, yeah. But yeah it's, it's 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 one of those things that like um it's one of those things that like I I think you'd have to have some some sort of um like concussion to not catch. That the entire movie is about how Renton is like morally flexible and has like no real core of a uh, of Sweden. well, I mean
0: even myself because it's Ewan McGregor and because like again Kelly McDonald is a 19 year old and so like they they don't actually the, the the it works because you don't think they're that far apart in age. She's out at a club that assume you know like and she she looks like she's in her you know she looked older than me when I saw the movie when i was 16 or whatever but like even my i started this movie saying like renton's not as bad as like you know beg or sick boy it's like well he's a rapist (laughs) i mean like you know like not a not a like maybe the first time was accidental because he didn't under didn't know as much as that an excuse that that is but like later on it's not like he does know for sure. And they for sure continue sleeping together. So it's like, but again, because Retton's charming and you're in his head, you know, it's like, I don't know what's, what's worse. Is it bagby starting fights at bar or a rapist? Yeah, yeah. This with, is also yeah.
1: not a movie where it's like about a guy who has an affair with a 16 year old. And that's the age of consent in France at the time or whatever. Like this is not yeah. the situation. It is illegal and it, it is, is unethical. And they literally use the fact that she's wearing her, um, her like high school, uh, Uniform as a shock moment where you're like, yeah. oh no, Ren, what the fuck did you do? Yeah. Um, and, and, and although and like her the, parents the point, are
0: a, a little bit too, like, it's a funny scene, but like her parents being like, oh, you're one of her friends then. <laughs> She's sleeping in their hallway.
1: Like, is this What is going on there? They're fine with her having a boyfriend or whatever as long as it's, you know, a high school guy and they yeah. both are youngish, so. Like is Renton 20 and she's like, does yeah, Renton pass I think he's, as a high schooler? I think he's supposed to be 22 or 23. in Like, But does he like visually pass as a high schooler? I don't totally know. I don't know if I they're supposed to be so. bad parents or they're just supposed to be like, our kid's going to have sex. You might as well like, you know, she, she comes home and uses a <laughs> Thank you for
0: kicking him out.
1: <laughs> yeah. Before. As long as that's she, a did funny. Did she th- say that even despite that, like he has to sleep on the couch and they were like, I guess those are the rules. Yeah.
0: Um, it is, uh, that whole, like, club scene, though, it's followed by, the again, Spud waking up, Spud, who, his girlfriend hasn't had sex with him yet, uh, from the club, and decides, like, tonight's the night to have sex, Spud gets so drunk that he passes out, and that scene that you talked about that is still, like, there's two scenes that have only increased in cringiness as I've gotten older. Uh, the first one is the the um he shits the bed and tries to um tries to dispose of it without anyone knowing where and again it's such a perfect set design because the kitchen is so crowded and he has this sheet full of shit and he's like trying to walk through the kitchen on the way to the laundry room and like it is like brutal how like bad you feel for this everyone i've never woken up with a shitting like shitting the bed and trying to hide the sheets but i have woken up and been like oh that going to face everyone in the morning when you're like hey, I, I was a little too
1: drunk and i passed out very yeah. early and like and that i've, kind of I've like, pissed the bed before when i was too oh tired. i've definitely pissed the bed yeah yeah but it's an important part of the joke is that the dad is like oh we've all happens had to everyone." Like just talking- give us the sheet.
0: Don't be so embarrassed. And then it's also fighting piss is over the a Very sheet.
1: different situation than shit, right? Especially like, that kind of shit. Like piss is like Throw in the lost extra thirty.
0: Yeah, if you throw the sheet away, if the if the uh, if a couple dry pellets fall out, okay. But like this is this is uh, chocolate pudding. I don't know how else to. That's probably what they used. It's yeah. the most disgusting uh, shit ever. Um, it just absolutely, absolutely brutal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The other part, the other scene that's gotten worse for me as I've gotten older is the um like the 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 baby in the crib scene. Like obviously, like when you're 16 you're like, "Oh, that's terrible for that baby." And now that I have kids and you worry about like finding them in a crib like that uh when they're like babies because of sids and stuff like that. It is like uh, it was it was uh it was really brutal watching it this this time and I was it's like, "Oh, I hate yeah, this."
1: I, I absolutely did not uh did not forget that scene. I don't think I was affected
0: by it when I was 16. Like, and not to be like an edge, but like, I just, I, I was like, I, you know, there's that thing like, it's not a real baby. And it's just a movie. And now it's like, I would like this visual to be over as quickly as possible,
1: please. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible, horrible visual. Um, Do you have a theory on why that baby died? Is it, is it neglect? And is Did it, is it the baby starve yeah. to death?
0: Yeah, so I think that I mean again it's a very like gruesome makeup that they do on the baby, but like yeah, I think it like it basically starved to death in the in the crib, like uncared for. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz I think it's showing the cheeks a little bloated like it's dehydrated a little bit. So
1: and yeah. um the the fact that Retton's like I don't know how long Allison was screaming. Yeah. Um like implies that like all of them have probably been listening to this baby cry and have just just turned it, that sound off in their head like well yeah i mean we
0: see like the mom like everyone's you know mother superior is the person who sells them heroin and they do heroin at his like flop house and like kind of a shitty um, you know, uh, condemned apartment building, it looks like, for the most part. And, um, and like, the opening scene, we see the baby crawling around on the floor um, while everyone's either cooking heroin, doing heroin, or selling heroin, and no one's paying attention to it. Like, you know, just yeah. Uh, so, I so, mean, I, I have a baby. Uh, my baby puts everything on the floor in its mouth. So the fact that, like, that baby didn't die much earlier is very surprising
1: yeah 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 like uh the baby is just allowed to crawl around with all the needles and and everything else right i'm sure you could come up with some sort of complex reason the baby died i'm sure there was maybe in the book there was a little bit more detail but like just basically like they're they're the baby just gets phased out and the movie tells you the baby is getting phased out in in terms of her her priorities allison and sick boy's priorities yeah the movie tells you that like it's just that you don't realize for a little bit um, just um, how phased out the the baby is.
0: Yeah, it it was such it, it's worth talking about because it was so. And then you see the baby later on when Brenton is is kicking heroin without methadone and without help his parents after he gets caught. Uh, he has an overdose, which we can talk about here in a second. Um, they they basically lock him in his room and they make him kick it. There's a scene where the while well, he's like hallucinating and having you know panic and anxiety attacks um the dead baby shows up again crawling on the ceiling towards him twisting its head while he while he screams i find that scene less disturbing than just the scene of the baby in the crib um but this i mean that was kind of a point of this movie like i remember reading the new york times review from 96 that's like it has a scene with a baby that you're going to be sick over like it it was kind of like you know the like a lot of these movies that become these popular called hits have like a movie that the the or have a part of the movie that the reviewers a lot of times like nod to like ugh. like the two parts that this i think got a lot of contemporary review nods were like the toilet scene and the uh where he puts suppositories in his uh, methadone suppositories uh, in his ass, and then he shits them out, and has to climb into a toilet—the uh, the worst toilet in Scotland—to get them. That scene and the baby scene were kind of like this movie's like: has independent edgy cinema gone too far? And even in in positive reviews, were like, kind of like doing a nineteen ninety six version of trigger warning around like toilets and dead babies.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely and like yeah a lot of these movies did have like one shocking central central moment yeah. um the, uh, i will say while we're at mother superior so probably not going to cut back here um uh peter mullen uh, plays mother superior he doesn't have a lot to do um but peter mullen is an actor i deeply love like he's a great actor he's been in a ton of awesome shit um i want to throw out one recommendation Um, apparently he's in the new Lord of the Rings show. Um, but he's, uh, that's not my recommendation. Um, he is, um, you, you would know him from like Westworld. You would know him from shit, like children of men, war horse and stuff. He's in, he's in a Harry Potter movie. Um, but he's great in this movie called Tyrannosaur. Um, that's, oh yeah. uh, Directed by Patty Considine. Um I've not seen it but I was speaking of movies that got a lot of critical
0: notices with trigger warnings.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a disturbing movie. Um another disturbing movie that's really great and introduced me to and Andrew Garfield that he's great in if you're interested in Andrew Garfield like uh, the role that kind of broke him, uh Boy A. Um P- um uh, Peter Mullen is amazing in Boy A um and uh session nine is the other big one that i can think of that peter mullen is is super super good apparently so there's this book i love the north water and apparently there was an adaptation of it so and he's in it so i gotta watch that. so that's a
0: recommendation for you to check out it sounds like peter. yeah that's
1: a that's a reverse recommendation times two
0: that's a that's a peter to
1: peter rack as they call it yeah oh north water is an amazing book you'd really like it uh um, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, um. Yeah. That's 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 Mother Superior. Um. <laughs> those are the gross scenes. Uh, These gross are scenes. Gross. There's also an overdose scene at Mother Superior's later that has a. Yeah. Let's
0: let's talk about that. So what's yeah. funny about that scene? And again. So again, my I have no exposure to heroin. I did one time. The first time I did mushrooms, take way too many, and I was freaking out a little bit. And I was on a red carpet, and I remember very much wondering if I was losing my mind and thinking about. Uh, that scene in Train Spotting was like a was a very clear connection point. Like I had kind of like decided I wasn't getting up, and I had a visual of myself sinking into the red carpet. That it really was a red carpet. Like it just was a, a connection my brain made, and I was like, "Oh my god." I was in the headspace of like watching the world pass, you know, which if you've ever done too many mushrooms or any sort of hallucinogenic, you know that's a really bad headspace to to be in. And the direct connection to this scene in train spotting that I was having at that moment was like uh not great. So uh it it's funny even watching it this time, like at that scene I got a little bit of anxiety because those moments uh stay with you for yeah. a long time. So I had my own little drug connection to the overdose scene. It was not overdosing. You can't overdose on mushrooms. I just had too many because I didn't
1: Yeah, eat. I mean, but it could be a very bad four to six hours. It's not I like LSD. Felt, felt like a million years, Peter. <laughs> yeah, it's not like LSD. That's mostly why I've stuck with no. mushrooms uh, and, and weed over the years is because like, I've, I've never done LSD, g- but I I didn't know that you speaking, weren't supposed
0: to be wasted. And then I took a bunch of mushrooms and they weren't kicking in and I took a lot more. That is a my rule. Mush- well, my mushroom use afterwards... You no, know, if they're not kicking in, just take more. Again, no one explained it well <laughs> to me. <laughs> I did not get... You know, some of that those, those just say no campaigns would have been helpful to say, and if you say yes, here's some good guidelines so you don't horribly fuck up your first time doing it and actually make huge mistakes. Because every time I had taken mushrooms after that, it's been a long time since I've taken mushrooms, it was like sober, the right amount, at a really good time. Uh, But that first time, it's kind of amazing. I ever tried it again because it was uh, it was a rough uh, eighty million years or whatever it felt like at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I uh, mushroom and and weed. The nice reminder about mushrooms and weed is that like um, you can take a little bit, and if you undertake the dose, you still have a very nice evening. Yeah, you still have a a very nice time. Um, I wish that I remembered that lesson for me all the time, but yeah. Um yeah I I it wasn't um this but I do remember having a bad mushroom experience and specifically recalling Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah. Swirling carpet patterns and all the lizard yeah. people and all of a sudden everyone's face just looked not great and I was like yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's why I should have taken only half of what I took.
0: <laughs> I mean that is the you thing you no no learn. One... <laughs> So, no one quite tells you that, like, the way people would describe it is that you occasionally see bright colors or something. It's like doing a little bit too much weed, where, oh, the world's a No one really lets you know, like, you're living in a cartoon wonderland for a while if you take too many. And, uh, you're, yeah, your mind's just going to be mush. And hopefully you don't have any bad connections. Like, I don't know, laying down to get your bearings on a red carpet and you've seen train spotting
1: 20 times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't ever do it, kids. Um, but,
0: okay. Or, or, or or learn how to do it responsibly, children.
1: I just said don't overdo it. I well, mean that's
0: unrealistic. That's what I just said.
1: Like, <laughs> just just say no doesn't work. Um. Okay. So, uh, the Mother Superior sequence. Yeah, it's it's the red carpet and you see Renton, Renton sinking in. Very uh a very simple special effects shot that's still very evocative. Yeah, and then you and then the special effects shot is like, all right, we're gonna make this more impressive. It's a POV shot of Renton as he's basically being lowered into like a red carpeted grave, um, yeah. and just sinking and sinking and sinking. And then it becomes a POV shot of Mother Superior being like, I need to get Renton to a hospital, but also yeah. he, I, he can't. Nobody can come in this apartment. Yeah, EMTs are not allowed to come here. This so is yeah, it takes him to like. the
0: middle of the street, literally, and like just. Dr- drags him down the stairs plops him in the street we wait for the ambulance he's a, he's a good drug dealer from that capacity um, this is
1: not yeah this is not um like lou reed's dealer and a bunch of those lou reed songs where he's like uh he's talking about like just uh oh your girlfriend just throw her in the street somebody'll think it's a hit and run you're like yeah different, different well level. and also i mean
0: the song that plays over this is perfect day which you know i, I hopefully lou reed Lou Reed was okay with uh, connecting this song with heroin use because it's such a beautiful song about, as, as I understand, just a nice day in the park. And so mm-hmm. to have that scene feature in a scene of a heroin overdose, you know, feels like it could ruin the beauty of the song. But thankfully, I, I think they eventually won back the um, the true meaning of the message when they, when they had it for all those PS4 ads <laughs> or whatever right as it got released. Um, yeah.
1: He yeah, has about and people and like video games. It's just nice for uh, Lou Reed to support the arts because obviously he would never associate himself with heroin. Yeah, um, as a, I like mean, think about it, Peter. Would you man. call like
0: even I think drug addicts wouldn't call a day doing drugs is a perfect day? Like going to church, doing some volunteer work at the nursing home, ideally giving them hosts from church that you've taken uh, officially <laughs> um maybe a nice walk with your crush on the beach like those are perfect day moments peter and i think we all know that's what lou reed was
1: yeah and i say i i, I just think that um most perfect days just keep going on you know they just yeah. keep going on and on but uh yeah so uh, there's also very funny like sick boy earlier in the movie sick boy he's such a bullshitter. He can't, he he just loves the sound of his own voice. Um, he is like saying all this shit about Sean Connery, 50% of it is inaccurate. (laughs) And then he says something and he talks shit about Lou Reed having a solo career. Oh yeah. And it's very funny to have a movie where somebody talks shit about an artist having a solo career and then playing a song from their solo career. career, Yeah. And and then this movie must've sold copies of, of Lou Reed albums right like
0: yeah well it revi- I mean I know we mentioned it, but it revitalized Iggy Pop's career Danny Boyle shot a new uh, music video for Lust for Life which was a song that came out in 1977 and it like you know he he blew up again over the song and his career was pretty much dead in the mid
1: 90s Iggy Pop's career has had lots of ups and downs right like it's uh, just like Lou Reed there's been like moments where you're like Iggy what the fuck are you doing and then you're like you know what yeah. do a solo album see see what pans out the single's kind of fun like they yeah. both have they both like clearly burnt out fade away and then came back and then burnt out fade away a, a few times uh, but that's the nature of those careers we talked about this string high fidelity i do not think that artists need to fuck, fucking go off just because they like can't muster yep. the idea of like contending with their legacy I think yeah. they should continue to make art, even if we don't. It's inconvenient for your Spotify scrolling to go back to Transformer. <laughs> you just scroll past, like, a bunch of shitty albums. No. Um, yeah. I think it's fine. Lou Reed tried to make more money as an artist.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Uh, yeah, so kind of getting to the end and the the actual, like, in some ways the plot kicks in in the last 30 minutes. There's like, oh, I guess we'll do some plot. Um which is that uh, after he officially quits heroin, he decides the only way he's going to stay clean or anything like that is to leave. So he goes to London and he gets a job as a real estate agent. Um, not as a real estate novelist, which is a whole different thing that uh, Billy Joel talked about. But he's just a real estate agent. Um, but eventually, like, his whole clan starts coming there, right? Like, Begbie comes there first and, like, starts staying with him.
1: Because Begbie Sick Boy, did a shitty robbery.
0: Well, then Sick Boy comes here and then they all go back for Tommy's funeral. And that's when they start talking about like, uh, you know, there's uh, they're going to buy this uh, this heroin for $4,000. And uh, then they're going to sell it to this connection in London that Sick Boy has. Begbie knows that at first Renton's like, I don't have – they're like they, they need rent involved because they need the capital to get the initial – heroin investment and Renton's like i don't have two thousand dollars so you're out of luck and Big i just love the i've seen your bank statements you have two He th- you knows the exact amount that is in his bank statement
1: because they're thieves um, right like the yeah. idea is like these are these are such fucking thieves they're like i need to know exact amount of money i can steal from Renton.
0: the scene where johnny uh, or sorry when sick boy Uh, steals his TV when they're living in a tiny flat and the only thing they had to do was occasionally watch TV while they ate and Sick Boy steals it and sells it because he owes someone money and then when fucking like Ren is like you took my TV he's like oh I gotta, like, he's, like, angry that Retton doesn't recognize that he got a great price for it and needed it and legitimately doesn't understand why Retton would be mad about it. Like, that scene, and there's a couple other scenes with Sick Boys, but that scene specifically is, like, you can see why Retton has a specific hatred of Sick Boy. Like, Bigby's a lunatic. They know what they're getting with Bigby. Spud is an innocent who just, like, is, you know... can't figure out anything. It's just kind of a hanger on like the type of friend who would sell your TV and then be mad at you for not recognizing that he got a, A, he needed to steal it and sell it because he needed the money more than you did. And, and he got a great deal on it that he should be proud of. His overall like business acumen is like such a specific, specific like childhood to adulthood friend or like sibling to adulthood. Like that is like gets under your skin
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's very specific that like sick boy is not running out on this situation sick boy is like we're friends you don't understand why i would do this like it's the sort of manipulation that i'm sure made him a very good uh pimp and hustler um that's happening in the sidelines of this movie yeah um
0: so he uh yeah, so then so they get the capital and they do the heroin exchange, and again they they do the worst negotiating of all time. Bigby sees himself as a big player, but he keeps saying numbers and they're just like, No. He's like, Okay, then, uh, sixteen. <laughs> like, you know, he's it's it's so funny how like out of their element they are with any sort of real thing and the scene where they pull out the like they had way more money that they brought with them to this drug deal and they pull out a part of it to give to them <laughs> like it's like the 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 how annoyed they are with uh, that that he was like they literally could have gotten more because they brought enough money to pay twice as much and they just were terrible negotiators <laughs> big B just shouting numbers
1: also though the reason that they are negotiating them down It's because clearly Renton and maybe Sick Boy have been taking some off the top to use. Oh, yeah. Like when they're measuring them, they're well below. Is it supposed to be? Because he does it it in the train, right? Yeah, because he he does it to test it and then mentions
0: that he does it a few more times on the train. He's like, this will actually be my last time doing heroin
1: yeah so it's like a 10 he does it because he knows it'll annoy begbie to keep taking it all right so 100 grams one tenth i think he basically takes like a tenth of uh, he takes it but basically 100 grams of it between the two or three of them um how many um grams in a heroin (laughs)
0: dose how many grams in a heroin dose yeah. So i mean, think you just look of... on the side of the bottle peter
1: so yeah they took they took a few doses it sounds like <laughs> from there um so the average U.S. price of a gram is point 0.1 gram of heroin costs fifteen to twenty dollars. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, they took they took quite a few doses. I'm not going to be able to do this math, but um, off the top, so the the guy negotiating with them makes sense because he's like, this is not two kilograms. That's why I brought the kitchen scale. I'm like an actual criminal. You guys are yeah. just fucking bumpkins, you guys are idiots, and realize. Yeah. And he also realized that where are you going
0: to go? You don't have other connections if you don't sell this so I can get you the bare minimum
1: price. The reason you came down to London and and came to this hotel room and you all look like fucking goobers is because I'm a serious like he brings a the guy brings a, I forget the term for it, but he basically brings a donkey with. Like a guy yeah. to like do the heroin and make sure that yeah. it's not a hot shot and not poison. Yeah. Um and then the guy's like, yeah, seems like it's heroin. And then he
0: Um Yeah, so uh they are celebrating uh, Renton is is literally like I'm gonna like you, like there's a point where Sick Boy and um, Begbie aren't there and it's just as buds and he's like should we just steal this <laughs> like they he's like first of all I know for a fact Sick Boy would do it to us and say he had a good reason for it and not even feel guilty at all and Begbie's a lunatic who cares what he thinks and like to kind of solidify um, Renton's kind of understanding like hey, I may have gotten to London, but I fucking didn't get away from my life. It's followed me here. I need to get away again. Is that um, uh, Begbie starts a fight, like, with all of this money, with finally having a chance, starts, like, a major fight in this bar where he literally stabs people with glasses and cuts everyone. And, like, it's, know, it's so horrifying.
1: People are maimed for life. It's
0: incredibly violent. And I think, like... In T two, you find out like this is what he, he ends up going away for a while because of this incident. When the police do track him down, um eventually for I I, I forget. Maybe we'll find out next year. Maybe we will It's but easy to anyways, It's
1: easy to track him down considering that he uh, we get arrested at the end of this movie. But like they get arrested at the, rest of the that, end of the movie. And I think then, they pin that bar fight on him, and that's what puts him
0: away for a while.
1: Yeah. But uh, Psych- he, a psychopathic uh, Scotsman is uh, with a mustache, is smashing people's faces. Like, oh, I think we can put these two. Yeah. And and I'm literally like causing
0: breaking everything in a hotel room. <laughs> That's how I get arrested. Um. So. Uh. But he's. Uh. They're sleeping, and. Uh. Bigby's holding the money, and Renton takes it, steals it. He leaves a little bit. In a uh, locker that we find out that he's hiding his passport because Bigby is trying to sell it for money. Um, Earlier in the movie, he puts a little bit of money in for Sick Boy, like his cut. Um, And then there's a narration basically about, like, uh, what did you expect from me? I'm a terrible person, but I'm going to (laughs) change. I'm going to change, and I'm going to take this money, and I'm going to go build a better life which is also very like alex at the end of clock orange right like his ending narration of like oh i'm cured all right <laughs> like don't worry about me my good uh he didn't say bros or blokes but whatever uh uh Hi, i drew says yeah my that's what it is um but it's like that he's like but, I, lo- but like, I love that and I think it didn't hit me as much when I was younger and was probably a little – like I wasn't like sucked in like these guys are cool dudes and I need to do some heroin because there are a lot of consequences that happen in this movie even if they're not as like brutal and drilled into as like a Requiem for a Dream type thing. But you do like Renton quite a bit when you see this movie at a younger age and I, I do think I kind of miss the like – the like the narration of like – hey. People who like have liked me, I did a thing that you may enjoy. That was a bad thing to do to everyone. I am not a good person. But now I will be, after the movie cuts to black, now I will be a good person. Now that you can't
1: objectively prove me wrong because there's no more movie. Yeah. But I, I'm going to be a good movie next. And I, it I, is a clockwork like, ending. He's he yeah. he has this this um he's running towards the camera. It's not the exact Kubrick shot because that would be lame. Danny Boyle comes up with something I think way more unnerving. Um he's smiling and running towards the camera and he's the camera's keeping sort of a distance as he's blowing the focus out until he he does have the he does have the malcolm mcdowell like head turned down a little bit
0: with huge smile on his face huge
1: smile that's um that's being obscured by the blur into almost like a joker thing like it's it's very creepy and then he's he's running through this speech about how oh i'm just gonna i'm gonna you know i'm gonna use this money i'm gonna go i'm just gonna go straight ahead in life and i'm gonna do everything i'm I'm supposed to do i am gonna
0: he does a reverse choose life where he's saying he starts he starts listing off all the things that he previously said. Why would they expect me to do this? And he starts listing off all those things as things he's gonna do. And I love that the movie itself, in like a metatextual way, seems to get impatient with him and doesn't believe him because the the he's still talking and the movie fades out to both the train spotting and then the credits start. And it's almost like the movie's like, okay we're moving on like you can keep finishing about how you're going to get a wife and a house and a job and everything. But like it's, it feels like the movie gives up on following him and keeps going while he's still talking. And I love that.
1: Yeah, I do. I do love that. And and, and it would be remiss if we didn't talk about the soundtrack more because the soundtrack is such an Im- important part of the final sequence yep. where it's this sort of what it's a it's techno a, band. It's a techno band. peter or, it was supposed it's is a, it
0: underground is that what
1: they' were called I, That sounds, underworld that's underworld right. sorry underworld. there we go yeah, i had right. this i had one of their albums um we would be remiss if we didn't at least talk about like the effect the soundtrack has yeah. on you and that feeling that during the sequence where um it's it's a song that like would be like an inspiring like oh the couple gets together song yeah but because it's this movie and it's been charging and charging and charging and you know the end is coming and you know that like there's this are we're watching a character just fuck over his friends right at the end. Um and like what the fuck is he gonna do with sixteen or I guess twelve thousand dollars? Like what is he gonna do with twelve thousand dollars?
0: Forty basically forty thousand dollars in today's money,
1: like Yeah. Like what is what is he gonna do it? And of course he he's gonna go shoot it and blow it all, right? Um but he him having this like speech where he's just throwing He's just he he he's just kind of throwing all these words out at you is yeah. him you're basically the movie is like admitting that like the party is just going to keep going for Rent and he's just going to keep trying to fuck people over. He's going to try and keep this party going and going and going. And you can see that smile fading until it's this like distorted version of humanity. And uh yeah, like he hasn't found a new lease on life. He just now all of a sudden is in this spark of Spark of imagination, the spark of existence. Well, One like, He
0: stole. He stole money from friends and got away with it. He's just.
1: He's jacked up. And he told people that he fucking hated, uh, basically to fuck themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, at least two people he hated. He, yeah. he, he likes sick boy, or he likes Renton or uh, Spud. Spud. You like Spud? Sorry. Um. But yeah, I. That's that's the movie to me. That's those are my final thoughts to me. Like I love the I love the 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 way that like the movie uses like techno music. It also uses it during the um getting sober um, sequence uh, uses techno music where like the droning beat that like in any other context would be like fun and exciting instead is like a horror show because like the song keeps going. The song just keeps going. And like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of reminds me of a lot of movies that are about excess, like Wolf of Wall Street, where it's like at first it's kind of fun. And then the 17th time that he's completely set his house on fire or whatever, you're like, Oh my God! This is a hell that he created for him. No, um, but yeah, it's great, great movie,
0: great movie. It holds up great. We didn't mention this. We did in the green room a little bit before, but I was like sure I was gonna see one because there's so much in this movie. I was sure that when I started, I was gonna be like. 116 minutes and the fact that it's 93 minutes i was like oh fuck yeah this movie's an hour and a half like so many things happen in that hour and a half and part of that is because every scene is really memorable like this like a you know goodfellas is longer fight club is longer but like i think something we're keying into is like those energetic movies that like each scene acts as its own uh uh own uh preview or advertisement for the movie itself because it's it would work if you just saw that scene and you'd be like oh fuck that's a there's a lot going on in that scene i want to see that whole movie it's connected to uh is really i think like what helps propel people into these kind of like art house is the wrong word but like early stepping out beyond mainstream cinema and this became mainstream cinema but it it obviously has both content and a pedigree that didn't start out uh, that way. Uh, next week, Peter, we're doing the only movie this month I've never seen before. I think it's important to do because a I have always meant to get around to it. It's a uh, it's a even if no one really likes it all that much, it's a big one. Um, and also like besides the Pulp Fiction poster, which we're also we're specifically not doing. I think this is probably like. If you had the worst job in the world and your job was to go into every boy's dorm room in the country and count movie posters, I think Pulp Fiction, the Jules and Vern, or Jules and... His name's not Vern, is it? Jules Vern? Who's who's Jules
1: and... Oh, Jules that? and...
0: Vincent. Vincent.
1: And, uh, Vincent Vega.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jules and Vincent with the guns. I think the second most ubiquitous would be... Uh, Tony Montana in Scarface, which is what we're going to be covering uh, next week.
1: Uh, yeah, and honestly, like for a movie I don't like very much, like it's a movie that like people have like strong memories of and love very much. And if you like it, it at least be like fun to watch because it's just like excess and disgustingness all throughout the screen. So exciting to, excited I to get to watch this with you.
0: One thing I'm interested, though, to like digest a little next week is like, is this the movie that we're going to cover? That more people have the posters than have seen the movie, like because they know it's rep- representation and like And, Martin, Al, Pacino, in, in, and uh, Al Pacino and Al Pacino and like rap the, music, the, you know, the end scene and rap music and stuff like that. That like that's enough a connection to it to feel like you can hold it, put it on your wall and be like, yeah, fucking Al Pacino, man, <laughs> and not have seen the movie because I I don't know any of my friends that watched Scarface. Like all these other movies, I feel like I had many college and high school parties watching them. I know I had friends that had seen Scarface, but no one's pulling out the three-hour cut of guys, we're watching Scarface tonight. Like, so uh I, I do think this is one that's more poster than actually watch a fight, but we'll we'll talk about it next week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh good night. Uh, for listening to We Love to Watch.
0: Mmm. <laughs> Mwah. <laughs>